and welcome to the Listen Louder podcast, a place to have open and honest conversations around mental health. I'm Megan Gilbride, the host, and each week I'll be discussing various mental health topics with my guests. For the best experience, try listening on the Entel app, where you'll be able to see and access links to exactly what we're talking about. Welcome to this week's episode and one I have been so excited to share with you. Um, I'm joined today by Lauren Mahon. Now she is an absolute powerhouse of a woman, the ultimate girl boss, if you will, and one of my dear friends. And in 2016, Lauren was diagnosed with breast cancer and at a time where she felt most alone, created an online space for the cancer community to connect and raise awareness of just how important it is to be in tune with our bodies. From there, Girl vs Cancer was born and it's been a non-stop rollercoaster of amazing opportunities and incredibly overwhelming experiences since then. She's an award-winning podcast host of the BBC's You, Me and the Big C and has raised thousands and thousands of pounds for charity with her Tip Tea Empire. Lauren! Yay! Yay! That was so nice! I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy you asked me. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I know you're a very, very busy lady, so... Always time for you, Miss Gilbride. (laughs) So, I'm sure that anybody listening will already be such a huge fan of you and your podcast and your business and the work you do for the cancer community. And whilst I do really want to delve into that part of your life deeper, could you just give us a little bit more of a lowdown about who Lauren Mahon is? Who Lauren is? Lauren is... A five foot two, <laughs> born and raised Londoner, who has worked in social media and digital marketing for most of her adult life. Um, absolutely loves going to festivals. Has a little ginger chunk of a nephew who I'm obsessed oh, with. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah, and I'm someone who really values human connection, a good cup of tea. This is a really good cup of tea, by the way. One <laughs> of the producers made us a very, very nice cup of tea here. Um, and yeah, I love a plant. I love a sing-song, and yeah, and I guess I'm just a little bit more resilient than I ever thought I was. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know, like, obviously cancer has been such a big topic Mm. over the past couple of years for you, and really kind of like the the main and if not only thing you've really been doing. Doing, yeah. Mm. It's been kind of taken over your life Mm. a lot. Yeah. Um, And one thing I wanted to talk to you about was during your treatment and then kind of subsequent recovery, yeah. how does that specifically impact your mental health? Because it, we speak about mm. the physical effects mm. of it and how obviously the, the C word is, is not yeah. something people wanna delve into too deeply, but it, it's not just gonna affect you physically. Yeah. How does it impact you mentally? Mentally, it's, it, do you know what? I always think, I don't know how I managed to cope as well as I did Mm. through my treatments. It was absolutely, I've always suffered with health anxiety my whole life. Yeah. So when I was 16, my uncle died very suddenly. He was only 39, died very suddenly um, of an illness. And then um, six months later, a friend of mine was murdered. So at the age of 16, my first two experiences of death were very premature and very tragic and quite scary. So at that point I started to get panic attacks. And at this time you think like, this is like what, 
oh my god how old am I now yeah so like 15 to 20 years ago people don't talk about mental health the way we do now no so I didn't know what was going on so when I was having panic attacks I was convinced I was dying and it was horrible horrible thing and then I had a lot of counseling in my mid-20s it all kind of came to a head and I was actually diagnosed with severe depression anxiety and it's so weird when I think about that now how I, how I could have got to severe Whereas mm. nowadays, I think you can kind of almost stop yourself getting to that point when you start talking about things and you seek help quite quickly. But yeah. I had got myself into such a hole with it and thinking that I was broken. Yeah, but if you can't articulate it as no. well, like if you don't know that's what's wrong and you're just, you just keep going, keep going, keep going until exactly. you can't go anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, just, and just being like, there was something fundamentally wrong with me. Why can't I just snap out of this? Mm. And then I, I was diagnosed into loads of counselling, did CBT, I was on antidepressants for a short time, and it was great, and it got me back on. And the CBT that I learnt in those in my mid-20s, I actually really only put into practice when I got sick. Really? Yeah. That's really. interesting. So, like, my anxious thoughts kind of subsided quite a lot after I'd had all the counselling and, and the... Um, and like the medication and stuff. Um, but I was able to manage it. Like if I felt I was gonna get a panic attack, I could kind of talk myself off a ledge. So that was my mm. CBT kicking in a little bit. But my biggest fear and the biggest driver of my anxieties was that I would get sick or I would die very suddenly and it would be scary and hard and, and painful and all the things that I'd had the experience of with, with the people that I had died. And all of a sudden I was taken into a room and told that I had something in my body trying to kill me. And it was like my biggest fear realized. So in my head, I just was like, well, I knew that was gonna happen. And it kind of feeds the anxiety, right? But what I kind of did, it also did was it was like, well, it's happened. And the minute the doctor said to me, this is gonna be a massive inconvenience and we think we can get rid of this. It completely changed how I thought about my illness. And I was like, hang on, this isn't gonna kill me. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you hear the word cancer, I think for yeah. anybody, it's you do think you do associate it with death don't yeah, you I like really, really I, I would I know if like mm. for, I'm very similar to you yeah. I have really bad anxiety around losing people mm. um and I'm quite a big hypochondriac mm. with myself in terms of like anything could be something yeah. horrendous and managing that is so difficult yeah and I think if you actually got into that situation like you did mm. where you're like oh no I, I do have that thing that is mm. the worst thing that could have yeah. happened and it's not, yeah. it's, it's horrendous, yeah. but it's not exactly yeah. what I thought it was gonna be. It's yeah. not the end. It's not the end, yeah. and that's the thing. When I was going through the counselling and stuff, they did identify it with me. They said, massive part of your anxiety is catastrophic thinking. Like, you go to the worst case scenario. So, like, in my in life, my whole thing is, I'm so scared I'm gonna die. And to me, that is the worst case scenario, but that's like the end of life, isn't it, then? Mm. So actually, <laughs> I faced kind of my scariest moment and I'm like, I'm here. And actually I was like, I've wasted so many precious hours, minutes, days, years of my life being terrified of this and it's happened and I'm doing it and I'm coming out the other side. This mm. is, this is, it's a weird thing. Cause I still, I, the, the CBT work did that every time I was really sick and like I'd have to go in for procedures and biopsies and as someone, trust me, before I got cancer, I used to faint at blood tests. Like I was terrible. I still don't like them now, but, to then go and be jabbed and poked and prodded and be in like mad medical world all the time um, was quite a lot. And it was the CBT, I'd have to really refocus my thinking. I couldn't think too much about what was gonna happen and put myself into a panic attack because if I did, I wouldn't get the treatment and it was gonna save my life. So it had to really reshift how my brain worked. God. 
and that's kind of continued now. I think what's happening for me now is that I do really struggle. I know for a fact that I have not dealt with the trauma of my cancer. Mm. I've kept busy. Well, you haven't stopped, have you? Like, no. I think for any, I'm sure literally everybody listening to this will know who you are, but for people that don't, like, you've, you've been diagnosed with cancer, mm. you've fought it, you've come out mm. the other side, you've been given the all clear, um, and that would be enough for any regular mm. human <laughs> to deal with, mm. but you've just built this massive empire. And, and it's cancer related, yeah. so. Like, it's, it's, it's you've really just been weird. eating, living and breathing the whole exactly. situation. And it's so weird though, because I had a conversation with my counsellor earlier this year, um, and it was one of our last sessions, and we were talking, da, 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 and she said something about waking up and thinking about it, and I went, oh my God, I don't wake up, and cancer is, cancer's not the first thing I think of when I wake up anymore. And for so long it is, wow. for so long it is. And I don't know when that happened, but it did. That's now, amazing. Yeah, now I wake up and think, oh, normal things, like, oh, do I need a poo? Or, like, <laughs> what do you have for breakfast? But, like, it was for ages. It it was the first thing. It's like a bereavement. You wake up, you open your eyes, you forget for a second, then it hits you like a mm. wave, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, but I think for me now, I know that I haven't dealt with the trauma of my cancer, and I feel like I need to unpick it a little bit, because it has... It's so intertwined with my original anxieties anyway that I do feel like I need to pay that some attention. So at the minute, I'm trying to find a counsellor or a psychiatrist near me that I can start a relationship with and actually go and have some analytical therapy rather than, like, talking through... Right. I want to actually, like, unpick this. Um, Because I... Where I'm on the go, as you rightly said, it does. I, I get into a state of overwhelm and overstimulated. I've actually just written a piece for Scarlett Curtis's new book all about this. Amazing. How, yeah, how like there's this, there's this. I'm gonna read this because I think this might help someone who's listening. I screen grabbed this ages ago. I had a day where I woke up and I, my brain was literally crawling. It was like white noise, and I and I sat with my head in my hands and I was like, what is? I can't switch. Like, what is wrong with me? Like. I felt it was the closest I was ever going to come to being sectioned. You know, when you're like, I can't think. My brain is not my own. It was crawling. It was so overstimulated, but I hadn't given myself any space at all. But I didn't know what's that. That's what it was. And I took myself out for a run, because that normally clears my head. And halfway through the run, I just stopped and started sobbing. And it was all really like, I was waiting for a guy with like little violin to come out and like play, (laughs) because it was raining. I was crying on the side of a canal. It was all very dramatic. But I did have a moment where I was like, I'm broken. What is wrong with me? Like, something's actually wrong. And then my friend posted to her Instagram, and it was just like, you know how the world sometimes shows you something that you need to see, like, in a crisis? So my phone, I opened my phone to ring my sister and be like, oh, help me, I don't know what to do. And she'd reposted this, and it was the first thing I saw. And it's by a guy called Ian S. Thomas, who writes poetry and Mm. and prose. And it's called The Need to Do Nothing. It says, if you do not take time for yourself every single day, literally give yourself time to do nothing, your body will take all the time you owe it all at once. And you will sit there on the side of your bed and you will cry and say under your breath between sobs, what is wrong with me? But you are not weak and there is nothing wrong with you. You've just forgotten to give yourself time. Oh my God. And that is literally what it was. What are the chances of that I was just like, now I read that all the time. Yeah. Because I realised two things were happening. I was throwing myself and saying yes into everything and I wasn't taking time for myself. And the nature of what I do is I give a lot of myself to other people. But actually, I've been through a lot myself, and I've not given myself space to think, feel, just be. Mm. I've just been filling my time. And I know part of that is a coping mechanism. Yeah. But I, I need to address that, and that, that was a day where I actually went, okay, I now need to address it. And the weird thing is, I started doing meditation and stuff, 
But then when I'd go into a deep meditative state, I'd actually start having panic attacks because it's like the trauma just starts bubbling up inside me because I've given myself a second. Wow. So it's really, it really it's empowering yeah. because I'm lo- I now know that I need to do the psychi- psychologist route, but that's, it's scary, but it's good because I've realized that. And mm. if I hadn't have given myself that time, then I'd probably just be pushing it deeper yeah. and deeper down. Well, that's so, like, to hear you say that, like, I honestly think you must be one of the strongest people that I've ever... Really? Well, yeah, because to be able to... I don't think you maybe give yourself enough credit Mm. for how much it takes to recognise that you need that support and that extra help and to be able to say to yourself, like, look, you've... Yeah, maybe you've got yourself to this point and you maybe... It could have been prevented if you've gone a bit slower, but whatever. Like, your life is your life and what's happened has happened. Like the fact that you're saying no like I am I am going to get this help and there's there are ways mm. for me to do that like that's so that's so brave yeah I oh, think thank you I I just I've I think because I went through it in my mid-20s mm. I'm not I'm not afraid to go and seek help because I know yeah. it's what saved me last time so yeah. it was just realizing that listen I know you're coping because you're busy and busy you're like oh, I'm fine because I'm so busy I've got all these things planned here but actually the trauma's there I'm just pushing it further and further down and it's going to come shooting back up in yeah. some way, shape, or form. And, you know, life happens. Things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen again. You know, Rachel died last year. That was a massive knock. Yeah. And and that really was hard to deal with emotionally. I still don't know if I have dealt with that at all. But it's those things that I need to go and see someone and talk to because mm. they will flare up. Something else will happen. And it, you know what it's like. It's a lid on a box. You open it a little bit and everything will come spilling out. So that's that's why, for me, it's so important just to kind of keep a check on it. Yeah. I think one thing, like being one of your friends, mm. like when you were first diagnosed with cancer, I remember so I remember so clearly being in London and Lindsay, our yeah. friend, our mutual friend Lindsay, ringing me and telling me and being like, "Fuck, like yeah. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know yeah. what to do with this information." and Um, in a time where it's like it's literally not about me or about anybody else I would I'd really love to know now you have the perspective Mm. of being out of it Mm. I I mean you're never gonna I know you're you're never gonna feel like you're out of it but having been through it how would you say the best way is that your friends or people that love you or just Mm. literally anybody can help be supportive yeah. at that time because yeah. I think the scary thing I don't know if scary is even mm. the right word actually because it's not scary but the the sense of the unknown and not knowing how mm. to help somebody in that situation do you know what I mean? But it is scary like the thing is I was a person who had cancer but cancer didn't just ha- my cancer didn't just happen to me it happened to everyone who cared about me and loved me and that's what cancer does it's not mm. just the person going through it it's everyone around them and it is a really because we're not it's not a uh, dialogue we're familiar with we don't really talk about the disease so people aren't sure what to do someone has a baby you know exactly where to go what to buy them you know what they would like we do it we do baby showers do everything I'm not saying I have a cancer shower although Lindsay probably did kind of throw me like the fundraiser <laughs> she, she did <laughs> which was um, epic which actually which was such a good one that was the start of the, that was the start of all of this yeah. I blame Lindsay for all of my business <laughs> um, but it's for me, I think the main thing to do is easier than done, but don't panic. Because as the, the patient can see that you're pan- panicking, like I could see it in so many of my friends' faces. And it and it's fine because it's a scary thing. But then by other people, it's like on one hand, I had like my mum and dad who were obviously really scared, but they were like, right, how do we Practical. get this moving? What do we do next? What's the next plan? Like they were just like, right, let's get you out through this treatment and out the other side. 
Whereas you can see other people come and talk to me and I can see in their eyes, all they're thinking is their own mortality. They're looking at me like, is she gonna die? I'm gonna die one day. And it's this whole thing, dialogue we have as young adults in our heads, because we're invincible, right? And someone all of a sudden isn't, who's our friend. Yeah. And it doesn't happen to your friends or you, it happens to other people. Um, my bit of advice is, is the practical support. Mm. I think it, what happens is when someone gets news like that, everyone jumps on and they want to be there, but they don't really know why. I've never been asked for out for coffee as much as I did in those first two weeks. Well, I was going to say something that you said, like, back when it was, you were in kind of like the initial stages yeah. of it, was that it was almost too much too soon yeah. from people being like, everybody that cares about you genuinely cares, yeah. but it's like, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And it gets a lot worse as it goes down the line because mm. naturally the treatments accumulatively will make you feel worse and sicker. I think in the main, in the beginning bit, things that really helped me were, so I obviously didn't, I wasn't at work for a couple of weeks while I got my head around everything. So my workmates were really good at just kind of jumping on and going, right, what needs doing here? And they were like, made sure that I didn't have to think about work at all. Um, I had friends at, my mum and dad would come to me to whatever they could, but my mum and dad also have jobs and lives and they obviously wanted to save the times off that they could take for when I was actually in treatment. So it was really helpful. I had a lot of friends come to scans with me, I had a lot of friends come to blood tests with me. Um, I just was really scared to go to the hospital on my own at any point after the initial diagnosis because I just didn't know what they were gonna say. Um, so that was really practical help. And then I think what I found really useful was people just being really normal and just kind of being like, what are you doing this weekend? Should we go out for a drink? Mm. Or, um, you know, and what I found hard was there's loads of people who want to see you who wouldn't normally see you. And you almost feel obliged that you have to. And what I would always say to someone is if you're asking to see somebody, think about the reason why. Is it to make you, yourself feel better to see, that you will see them? Or is it because you think you will offer them absolute support? And think about that. Because I know the answer for a lot of people is it makes you feel better. Because it's a natural human empathetic reaction to go, I want to see you, I want to be there for you. Like as in, as if in physically being next to someone means that you're going to make things better. But actually you don't need to. Lovely things people did, people sent me books, I had people sent me Netflix subscriptions because obviously Aww. I was going to be in bed for ages. And I had some people organize some like nice outings for me to do. Like I'm really, I'm lucky that I've got a lot of friends that do a lot of really cool stuff. So yeah. a friend of mine took me to a couple of gigs before I got ill, um, like on guest lists and stuff. And it was those little things that were really lovely. Um, so. I think the initial thing is don't ask questions that you can find out yourself. Wow, yeah. God. Because if you, I, it's totally natural and it's totally normal for people to ask questions and I will always answer them. But also I started blogging so that people didn't have to keep asking me the questions. Because the more, you won't be the only person. It, will it be kind of seems a of bit well. insane to me that people would want to ask you Oh, everything. Everyone asked me questions all about my cancer. And then you'd get things like, oh, my friend's mum had that and she died a couple of years ago. And I'm like, oh, wonderful, thank you, wonderful. It's not helpful at all. And, wow. and I know it's a way of feeling empathy and saying, oh, I understand, but I think it's fine to ask questions, but it's things like, I would always say sending messages that are kind of rhetorical and just being like, hey, babe, like, I'm thinking of you, I just want you to know that I'm here if there's anything you need. I can imagine you get lo you've get you got loads on, but if you're free this day, I'd love to see you. Or if you need a lift to the hospital, I'm here. Or 
you know, those kind of practical things. Or I've just found this book about blah, blah, would you like to send it, me to send it to you? I guess it's more like hearing you say that, it really just feels like common sense, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's also, I'm, mate, I'm in the situation now where I'm in cancer world and people tell me all the time, like, I've got so many friends that have recurrences and I don't actually know what to do. And it's like, what do I say to make it It better? is debilitating, it's definitely, hard. for people to be a, well, we're not, we're not built to cope with that kind of stuff, are we? And and the thing is, I think everyone wants to fix everything. Mm. And your job doesn't have to be to fix, it's just to be present and just to be there. My best friend Becca used to bring me around chicken, a big thing of chicken stew, every single chemo. And I used to put it into little boxes and freeze it, so every single week, I, I needed something healthy to eat because I was so, so on my ass by the end of it, mm. I just couldn't even bear to think about cooking. I was hungry, but so fatigued that I just wallop it in the microwave and I'd had healthy food there ready to go. That was one of the most practical, helpful things someone ever did. It's kind of frustrating for to listen to you say that all of those things mm. and that hindsight is such a wonderful yeah. thing that like why did it have to take you getting poorly mm. for people to be able to support you in that way? Like yeah. maybe your next project should be to write a book of like how to how to be supportive yeah. when somebody yeah. you know gets cancer yeah. because like how there there doesn't seem to like people just don't yeah. seem to know how to navigate it yeah. and it is even though it's a difficult thing it's not it, it the practices are quite yeah. simple it really is but also everyone's different mm. so like some people will want to talk about it and you have to let them but some people won't some people want to deny it's even happening and you have to give them that right but just let them know that you're there for support if they need it so like there were times where it was when I was in like really early phase recovery and I'd be at my house with my flatmates and a song came on the radio and I can't remember which one it was now because it changes like month in, month out. But something came on, I was like, oh my God, this is one of my funeral songs. And then she went, Lauren, you can't talk like that. Da -da -da. And I went, I'm not saying I'm gonna die now, but newsflash, we're all gonna die. And this is gonna be my funeral song. Like, let me say stuff. And when I used to go to my mum, I'd be like, I really don't wanna go for chemo, I'm scared, I'm really upset. She was amazing and she'd hug me and give me a kiss on the head, but then within like three minutes, she'd be like, right, that's you now, go dry your eyes, go get yourself sorted. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't want to yet. I need a few more minutes. You're allowed to sit in it. But it was my mum couldn't handle seeing me so sad and upset, which is fine because it's her daughter, but it's that thing of, you have to let people be scared. You go to someone, it's gonna be fine. It's bullshit well, when they're about to you go You have in. no idea, do no. you? Yeah. So you can say, look, it, you will go. You are going to get through this, and I have got you every step of the way, even when it's hard. But it just it almost feels like minimising or dismissing when you keep going. Oh, it'll be fine. It's like, all right, well, you go sit in a chemo chair then. Yeah, I mean, that feels <laughs> like that would be the last thing anyone would ever say to yeah. somebody who's going through cancer yeah, because they, do. they go, oh, you'll be fine, you'll deal with it, you're really strong, and it's like still hard though. Yeah, I mean, still yeah, really I've said, I God knows how many times already how mm. strong I think you are as a person, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're invincible yeah. to feeling pain and trauma and all yeah. of these other horrible things that come along with the experience yeah. that you've had to go through mm. out of no choice. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think. Um, something that I don't you've probably been asked this a lot mm. but having had cancer yeah. and come through the other side and now everything that you are working on mm. is about cancer mm -hmm. do you feel defined by the experience I feel it's a weird like it's a weird double-edged thing so I don't feel like cancer has defined me but I feel like cancer showed me who I was yeah so I am not my cancer but cancer showed me myself. It's that is so true though, because I remember you and I sitting down yeah. and you were doing you started all of the things with your tip tees yeah. and I was like, Lauren, you are gonna 
take this places like yeah. this is going to be this is going to be your thing like yeah. you're going to make this yeah and obviously you have <laughs> like but, but i said it to my mum. this is gonna be the making of me not the breaking and i do genuinely feel like I was guilty of what most of us are life in, like young adulthood, where we kind of coast a little bit and we're not really sure what we want. We don't think too much about our own needs. We don't really know who we are really because we don't give ourselves that much time. We compare ourselves to other people. We kind of mold ourselves into what society makes us think we should be. And I was guilty of all those things. And when cancer happened, I just broke out of all of that. And I was like, life is too short for all of this. I'm just gonna do what feels right. And it's led me down this path. And I totally believe that in anything in life, if you just make decisions every single day that are right for you and make you happy and in your best interests, mm. you will end up living a happier, fulfilled life because you are doing things for yourself. Yeah. The way that you want to do it. And and it's just given me a really different perspective on everything. Like I just don't if I there is something I genuinely am interested in or want or think about, I no longer sit there and go, I'll do that next week. I'm like, oh I'm gonna Google that right now and have a look. It's just put a bit of fire under yeah. me. I was gonna say, like it's amazing that it has given you that perspective to mm. just do you yeah. essentially and do what you want to do and I wonder if there is a way for everybody to kind of take inspiration mm. from that to have get their own perspective without yeah. having to go through something yeah. like you have to be like no I'm gonna take control of my yeah. life and I think it's remembering that I've had this conversation I've got a couple of mates I'm not gonna say names but he'll know who he is if he's listening and I love him dealing he's gone through a really bad mental health time but he's also, I'm a massive optimist, he's a massive pessimist. I mean, you always laugh and joke about this. But I actually have had to say to him, like, he's been going through a rough time and now he's started coming out the other end and he's like making better decisions for himself. But I'm like, babe, the, the issue you're having is you're, you're behaving as if you're a victim of your own circumstance. When actually, there's certain things in life that you can't change. Mm, I'm so guilty of that too. But there are lots that you can and you're essentially the master of your own destiny. There's gonna be times where you don't feel like it. Yesterday I was feeling really, really ill. I'd booked a, cl a class to go to the gym. I was like, do you know what? I'm staying in bed. One half of my brain was going mad at myself, like, you've let yourself down, you should be exercising. The other half of my brain's like, you're sick, stay in bed. Mm. But it's like, I am the master of my destiny. I'm not, I'm not, like that decision was right for me at that time. I'm not gonna beat myself up about it. Yeah. But sometimes it's hard when you're feeling really, overwhelmed or you can't see the wood for the trees to make those decisions yeah you're still even though you've been given this been given yeah. you've got this perspective yeah. now you're still going to have those battles I with yourself all the time yeah constantly you don't mm. like at the moment i don't know what's going on and i don't know if it's because of the menopause that i'm in but i literally look in the mirror every day and i just i'm i find myself repulsive no lauren yeah but i'm open about it i'm not gonna sit there and be like go home like boohoo i still put my makeup on i still wear the clothes i always wear and i still go out and i'm still me what do you think has caused that? I don't know. I don't know if it's my body change because of um, the treatment that I'm on, so I'm a menopausal treatment, so like, I've definitely, my weight is distributed differently on my body, which I'm not big, that's why I'm tiny, but my yeah. shape has changed. That takes a lot to adjust to, actually. Yeah, yeah. and like, I don't recognise myself in the mirror, and I think maybe just from being in the public eye more, or maybe seeing myself way more than I ever did before, I look at myself and I'm like, oh, I don't know. There's something, but it's upsetting to me, but I'm dealing with it. I'm like, I know I feel that way. So what is causing it? And I and I try and be body neutral now. So I look in the mirror, I don't pay too much attention. I'm just like, that's me today. But I'm being real. Like, mm. it, that stuff's going on in my head all the time. Cancer or no cancer, I'm still a human being. Yeah. And and it, stuff will still always happen. Do you know what I mean? There's always going to be those mental health battles, no matter what you've been through. People no. always... And, there do, and I think you saying that about how you feel about the way you look, there doesn't have to be any rhyme or reason mm. because for me to look at you, like you're absolutely beautiful, oh, like inside you. and out, like you don't. 
I like, think it wouldn't even be a question. I think I was thinking about this this morning. I think it's because of my sex drive's been gone for a year and a half. Right. So I'm not really dating, and I'm not doing like the whole. I used to sleep. I used to legs open, heart closed was my uh, <laughs> was my policy before I got ill. And now I'm very much focused on me and myself and my my job, and I kind of love life taking the back seat. But I think maybe what that's done is it stopped me seeing myself as like this sexual, in a sexual way or yeah. pretty or whatever because I'm not having those interactions. No, so that's, that's probably that is, so. I think it is menopause stuff. Yeah, but that is like. It, with, regardless of like not like having sex for a long time or whatever, I always find that if I am not sexual for a, a yeah. prolonged period of time, whatever the reason is, yeah. that you do start to feel a bit more negatively about yourself yeah. in that way. Yeah. Like when you look at yourself physically and it's a subconscious thing, yeah. but then once you've had that kind of yeah. affirmation, I guess, yeah. of rejigging it or yeah. whatever, that you feel like, no, I've like, yeah, I've I'm got right. this, like, yeah, yeah I'm all right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think then, like, do you feel with the community that you've built, and I I'm love that you've said about the fact that you don't feel like it defined you, but it's shown you who yeah. you are. Do you feel a sense of responsibility? Huge. Yeah. Huge. I, one thing I, one, the big thing that I struggle with, and this is why I beat myself up all the time in terms of workloads, because I feel like I've started something but then since Rachel's death and the whole first dates thing last year, my life has kind of gone from being girl vs cancer all the time to girl vs cancer in broadcasting and it's hard to yeah. find a balance. Um, so I do feel a sense of like that I'm not as in girl vs cancer world as full time as I used to be. And people do come to me for advice for this and that and I wanna give everything over to them, but also it's re recognizing that I can't give everything over because I've- Yeah, well, you'd literally so, never do anything. Yeah, exactly. So it's I do feel a responsibility and I do feel like with you know, I know what the social media platform will become and when I've got a team, but it's a process. And I think I'm so used to doing like things now, 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 because you feel like you're on borrowed time and you're in treatment and you just want to do everything now in case you don't have it tomorrow. And now I'm settling to the idea that I'm actually cancer free and yeah, I don't know what the future holds, but today I'm cancer free and that's all that matters. I'm actually relinquishing a little bit and going, okay, like, so I don't have to rush this through. Yeah. Um, but I do feel a responsibility because I know how many people, which I find, insane when I meet them and they're like I've been following your journey I feel like I feel felt supported by hearing what you've been going through and like I feel like I had a friend on the other side other side of the radio like the radio the podcast or whatever and it's amazing but then but also it's a responsibility because I'm like Jesus like I don't want to let anyone down and I don't want to like disappoint a girl actually so before I got sick I used to smoke all the time and I drink yeah um, and since being in recovery, I'm not gonna say I haven't smoked, I've had occasional puffs here and there, but I don't buy cigarettes and stuff anymore. And at Glastonbury, I was like, I'm smoking all weekend and I'm not beating myself up about it. And the next week I'll go back to normal. And I know as a cancer recoverer, that's probably not like the most PC thing to say, but I'm a human being first, I'm Lauren first. Yeah. So I, and I've always said that for a whole of everything, everything that I've done, I, I'm not the poster girl for cancer, I'm a girl who had cancer and this is my experience. You can come with me and maybe it will help you or not, but I am not standing here going, oh, you know, I'm not standing going, eat veggie and then eat in a cow. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> not who I am. Um, I've always said that. So at Glastonbury I smoked and someone commented on one of my pictures going, oh, call yourself a cancer um, survivor inspiration, totally unimpressed. Oh. And I just had to respond and go, I've never called myself that. Who's called me that? I never called myself that. If I'm that's the person. pedestal you're putting me yeah, on. And yeah, and like, I'd understand if I was sat there like, 
puffing fags, smoking like a chimney afterwards, that would be quite irresponsible. But to have the occasional cigarette, because I want one, at a festival once a year, I'm not going to apologise for no, that. And But yeah. it, made me, it did make me go, hang on, am I at a point where I shouldn't be doing this? But then I'm like, but then I'm not living the life according to how I want to live it. Mm. I'm being real. So mm. it's this weird, weird space at the minute. Like, I, I want to be authentically me, and I will never stop being authentically me. But at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that people do look to me and they may be disappointed to see me with a fag in my hand and I'm really sorry, but... But I think that's... That the decision that's, I've chosen. That's the thing, isn't it? That people can be so funny about these kinds of things because you the reason people resonate with you and yeah. love you so much and, and want to hear what you have to say is because you're not pretending to mm. be this poster girl. Yeah. You are yourself. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're not perfect. No. Like, you're going to do things that maybe aren't PC no. or whatever. Yeah. Like... But actually, isn't that the reason that people yeah, are still here exactly. and listening to you and sharing your yeah. experiences because you are this real yeah. human being? And exactly. Again, I think that that's incredible that you can, like, you can pinpoint that for yourself. Yeah. To say, no, I'm Lauren. Yeah. I'm not girl versus cancer. Yeah. I'm I'm Lauren. What a shame wouldn't it be if, like, in that moment when Liam did this shout out at Glastonbury and I'm stood there with a fag in my hand and a pint of cider if I also went, don't take pictures of me because I've got a cigarette. Like, yeah, like I was no. in the moment and I was living, living a moment that was stayed with me forever. And actually, yeah, smoking is bad, it's rubbish. And I, I wish I never started smoking when I drink, but I don't smoke anymore. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I had, I got caught with a fag. But also you don't need to justify yourself. That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like we can sit here and we can talk about it. But I just do it. feel like I need to because yeah. of the community. And, and I don't Because want people, of the responsibility yeah. that you do ultimately yeah. feel, yeah. Um. So obviously you're in remission now. Yes. yes. Well, I'm cancer free. We're not saying remission for five years, but I am two oh, years clear. Oh, are you clear. not? No. Oh, okay. I said that to my, uh, I said that to my oncology. I was like, I'm in remission. They're like, no, you're in the clear. No evidence of disease. Right. Okay. They say five years of breast cancer. It's different for every cancer, though. Okay. So your cancer clear. Yeah. Two years. Two years. Yeah. So, how are you feeling now? Um, I'm in this weird state of transition. I guess I genuinely do feel more like myself, and I do feel like. I've started, I don't like, I get scared to like, touch the wood. Um, I get scared to jinx it, but I genuinely start to feel like, okay, there is life after this now. Like, I feel mm. like I'm settling back into me. It looks different, it feels a bit different, but I feel more like myself. Yeah. Um, but because I'm on this menopause drugs, it's quite hard because mm. it's a constant reminder that I'm on these drugs. Um, so that's a bit of a process, and I'm talking with my oncology team at the moment about whether I'm actually gonna continue on one of the drugs. It's safe to come off of it. But um, obviously, with my mental health, I'm like, I want to stay on everything that could possibly prevent it. Um, but in terms of, like, mental health and stuff, I do feel in a much more content place, and I think it's because I've started to put myself first a lot more and give myself space. I can really see that from somebody who is your friend and who follows what you do online. Mm. I think there's been a shift yeah. over the past couple of months of you being like, go, 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 which you still very much yeah. are doing. Yeah. But like, I'm seeing you do more things for you and taking yeah. time out and taking trips and yeah. doing things you enjoy and having the occasional cigarette with you yeah. inside <laughs> whilst Liam Gallagher yeah. says your name yeah. on his bloody set. Like it's, you're, you are, it does seem like you are sl like, not slowing down, but like doing more for you, which yeah. is only gonna be beneficial for your mental health really I yeah. think yeah like one of the things I've put in place which I, I really love and we spoke about this before we came on was 
I've, I like basically have a rule where I'm never anywhere before 11 a.m. Mm. Um, unless it's like really important meeting and we can't do anything else. There are caveats to that, but I it gives me that time in the morning for myself. So like yesterday, I um, was working from home all day, so I let myself sleep until 10, and then I start work at 11. So it gives me an hour to get up, make breakfast, have that time to myself. Um, I wasn't feeling well, so it was a much needed sleep. The f- like this morning I got up, I had to be somewhere at 11. So I got up, I went for a run, answered a few emails, and went up, because that, that, those few hours in the morning, I'm giving back. I was at a point at one point where I was up until working really, really late at night, not switching off to like 2 a.m. and then getting up in the morning and going straight back on a laptop. And actually, that little bit of space is just what's given me a bit of yeah. balance. And it's really, really changed things for me, just giving myself those hours every day to do what I want, even if I want to lay in bed and watch Lorraine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's up to me. It's my time. No one can tell me what to do with it. So, mm. yeah, it's really helped, actually. I think that that's a, a really good point for, like, the, in terms of if you're if you're so busy, there's the only responsibility is with you yeah. to carve out that time yeah. to be like, no, I need to do this. And mm-hmm. especially if you are running about here, there, and everywhere, like I said to you before, like, you're you're going to burn out if you're up at seven o'clock in the morning and out of the door by eight and then you're out everywhere doing everything and then when you get home at like nine o'clock at night you've still got all of this admin to do like it's you're you're going to be running on empty exactly and that's what I got I did get to the point when I had that moment where like my head was fizzing and stuff it was it was because I hadn't given myself any time Mm. at all to just breathe, I hadn't taken days off, and I'm I'm really bad for it actually because people go, oh, um, why don't you just like have you got a day off? And I'm like, yeah, well I'm I'm gonna go see the family on Sunday, and they're like, no, that's not, not a day, day off though, no. And that's the thing, I'm really bad at just actually doing nothing. Socialising can feel like it's not work, yes, which, exactly. it's not, but it's not downtime. It's not downtime. No, no. And do you feel like your anxiety levels about your health are still the same as what they were before cancer happened? Um, it's really weird now because I feel like now I know what my the issue could be. I don't worry so much about it, but I do worry a lot about it because before I'd be like, something's gonna ha- bad's gonna happen. Whereas now I know the issue was cancer, so now I'm just worried about it coming back. Right. But I know what it is I'm worried about rather than it being a myriad of all different things. Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and the thing is with me, what's kind of weird with it as well now is that I have an anxiety about my cancer coming back, but it's a very valid anxiety. Mm. Whereas before, it'd be like, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? It's never gonna happen. What are you worried about? Like, you're doing your own head in. Yeah. Whereas now, I've got a valid reason to be concerned, but I just try not to dwell on that. And I'm like, just be very aware of my body, go to all my mm. checkups. I live a healthy lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? Like, I eat well, I exercise. I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah. all those things that, I'm, I'm quite measured in my drinking. I don't drink half as much as I used to. Mm. So it's all of those things I know I'm doing right for myself. Yeah, so kind of like a bit more of a managed way to deal with your anxiety, I guess, because it can, yeah, you are kind of thinking of the unknown beforehand and it blows your mind a little bit. Yeah. But to be able to... I know that I've had breast cancer and I know that there's a risk of recurrence, so 
that's always going to be there but it's a, I am now in the capable hands of a team that monitor me closely and stuff so yeah. I feel you've got the knowledge behind yeah. and you, I and yeah. also I do I think one day I'm like well, I'm really scared one day this is going to come back and kill me before I want to die and actually but I'm like if that happens I've got absolutely no say in the matter all I can do is live a really good happy life in the meantime mm. and that's where I keep going back to and it's really hard to do that yeah. at times but that's what I always try and tell myself easier it's like, said than done a lot of the it, time I think it's yeah. the same as before I got sick it's like you wasted so many years scared about this when you could have just been going out living your life yeah. do you know what I mean and like I and I try and put that back into practice now I'm like you did this before don't waste so much energy worrying live yeah. and if there's a reason to worry you'll know do you know what I mean how do you remind yourself to do that is it just like like physically saying it to yourself it's, in it's your head? literally a dialogue in yeah. my head in my head I'll be like so it's the thing I spoke to Steve about this quite um, quite a few times and Deb like with Rachel Rachel basically was my biggest fear looking me in the face yeah. it was me fight like she, she had a little boy like Freddie's like two just turned three when she died um, she met Steve when she was like 35, finally like waited for years to meet this man, finally met the man of her dreams. They got married, they had their baby, and then cancer came and took her. And I think what it is with me, I have this anxiety where good things happen and I'm always I'm always like, right, that, something really bad's gonna happen now because something really good's happened. Because that's what's always happened in my life. Yeah. Um, but it's actually not going to that catastrophic place and going, yeah, but cancer might come back, but I might be here again. Like, it's not like, do you know what I mean? It's not a cert. It's not yeah. a cert. And I think it was seeing rate what happened with Rachel and actually looking at my biggest fear happen in front of me to one of my friends. It was really, really hard, but also it just made me go, you've got to stop worrying. Yeah. You've just got to live. You've just got to live and be smart and be in tune with yourself. And that's the best you can do. You can't, like, keep worrying about this because it's going to stop you making yourself happy. Like, you mm -hmm. can't stop amazing things happening to you because you're scared something bad's gonna happen. You've got to enjoy the good things when they happen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because life is gonna, shit's gonna happen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think for two separate situations, and I think this might be quite a nice way to like mm. end the episode, um, for those in kind of like the thick of it in terms of cancer or kind of any illness that is debil debilitating mm. in the way cancer is, and then those who are in a similar position to you now, mm. how you are now, what would be your top tips for dealing with your mental health mental in, the, health, in yeah. those situations? I think if you're in it, I think the best thing to remember is it will pass. And you know, I'm not like, like Deborah, bless her, Deborah's gonna be in treatment forever, but she has good and bad days still. But those moments will pass. And I think the way to remember is to go easy on yourself, not to worry about tomorrow, not worry about next week, is be like right now, what do I need to do to make myself feel happy and comfortable or that would lift my spirits? What can I do in this moment? Mm. I think I stressed out a lot when I was ill about worrying about the next treatment, about worrying side effects of a new drug, about all of these things. But actually, just focusing where I'm at in that day and how I'm feeling that day. And if I had a good day, I'd go out for a walk or see friends, you know, just being in that moment really helped yeah. me to cope because it is so overwhelming if mm. you think too much about everything else that's going on. Yeah, because I remember when um, when I came to see you when you weren't feeling mm. well and we just sat and ate burgers and like yeah. chatted and stuff and mm. you were saying like we we can't think about tomorrow and what's yeah. going to happen the next day like even just taking it second by second yeah. to just be like how do I feel right this second yeah like I remember you clearly saying that even at the time yeah because yeah. you have to otherwise it's just so overwhelming you mm. just it's hard to cope and I think for someone who's in my position now who's like in recovery and scared I think it's just exactly what I said. I think you can waste a lot of time worrying about 
tomorrow or what ifs, but actually you don't know what's going to happen and it can become debilitating. I've had people message me going, oh, you're drinking, I'm too scared to drink. And I'm like, like you can live your life without drinking, but I know people that have never drank, never smoked, never taken drugs, exercise all the time, eat vegetables, do everything, and they still get cancer. Well, that I feel like that that's the story you hear more, yeah. isn't it? When you read the news and it's like, oh, this was, she was uh, like a model human. Mm. She went to the gym five times yeah. a week and she ate vegetarian and all of this. Mm. Like you don't expect it. Like it's not you're not if you drink a glass of wine it doesn't mean you're going to get cancer You've got and to die. Live a life that you yeah. want to live and be happy. My mum is a cancer survivor. She is fifty five. She'll hate me saying that. She had cancer at twenty six, and she lives her life. She's like yeah. I just don't think about it. She went because I. She went at the end of the day that cancer was going to come back and kill me. It's going to come back and kill me. And I want to go down knowing I have made myself happy and I'm and I've done the things I want to do whether that's a glass of wine or not. Yeah. So I think, you know, within reason, go easy on yourself. You can't cancer proof your life and just you know, it's a second I always see it as like a second chance at life. So like do you know what I mean? Like do the things that make you happy really and put yourself first, I'd say. Yeah. Thank you. Yay. You're the best. Oh no, you are. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I really Thanks appreciate Thanks. it. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at listen.louder. I'd love to chat with you.